Welcome to the Centerpoint Church podcast. At Centerpoint Church, we are a community of believers impacted by God's saving grace and the love He demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Our response to this amazing grace is to allow it to transform our lives and to share it with others. As a body of believers, we find our purpose in knowing Christ, growing together, and reaching beyond ourselves to help others do the same. As we kick off our Back to Eden series in Genesis, we're invited to be close enough to the Father that we know the pure, relentless delight He has in us. Don't just believe Him, know Him. Well, good morning, and I think I can confidently say happy summer. Um, I, I know that it's summer when I start stealing my kids' parade candy. That's a little bit of the transition. Sorry, Zion. That's a little bit of the transition for summer to me. And I don't know if there's a better way to start off the season of summer to enter in a series on the delight of God. And we want to commit this series this summer to posture ourselves under the delight of the Father. So what I want to do this morning is I actually just want us to do just that. I want to go before the Lord in prayer, committing this time to Him and posturing ourselves to hear from Him. So will you do that with me this morning? Father, we thank You for who You are. God, we thank You that You are our Father. Lord, we thank You that our truest identity is that we are Your children. God, I pray that in this series that you would reveal more of who you are to us in this summer, Lord, that we could not just know and believe your delight, Lord, but that we would know you. God, we offer you this series this summer. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about for a moment the people in your life. And then I want you to think about the facial expressions of those people in your life. I learned recently that the face has 43 facial muscles, and those 43 facial muscles can make 10,000 facial expressions. And in the time of being married to my husband, Sam, I've spent enough time with him, I know him well enough, that I think I've memorized about 27 and a half of his 10,000 facial expressions. And there's this specific one, and I know exactly when it is. It's like across the room, and his face starts forming, and I can identify it. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm chewing too loud. Because it's not really disgust, it's just kind of like extremely annoyed. Uh, I also know Sam's expression of shock, like when the cowboys start to play well. (laughs) And I also know his expression, my favorite expression, which is joy, like the first time he held our two sons in his hands. There's this psychologist who gave his life to research of facial expressions. His name is Paul Ekman. And what he found in researching and decoding the human face, he found that there, it is the most powerful way to be connected to a person if you're able to read and know their face. Because a facial expression, it reveals the inner working of a person. 
There are two different kinds of facial expressions. There's a macro expression, which is something I could probably fake, like just a smile, or uh, I could fake being angry. But then there's the micro expression. And a micro expression is extremely powerful because it truly reveals the inner working of a person, what they're experiencing, what their emotion is. And so what this psychologist did is that first he started out his research to help relationships, to help people be more connected to each other. But then he found out that his research helped people like detectives and FBI agents. Because if you can learn to read and decode the human face, then you can start to find out what is the truth from a lie. And his study of facial expressions helped these people. He built these courses and machines to help people see, to help them inform what is the truth. And in this season of your life, whatever you're going through, I want to ask, what informs the truth for you? Or who informs the truth of who you are? We entitled this series, Back to Eden. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to go back to Eden and look at what informed the life of Adam and Eve, what informed their identity, what informed their security, and what informed their entire lives. What is Eden? Well, we know that Eden is in the Genesis narrative, and it is a place that God structured and set up for Adam and Eve to live. Eden means paradise. Eden also can mean delight. Because it had, like, think about the garden just for a moment. The garden had things like trees. It had these two special trees in the center of garden. But then it had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And God just resourced Adam and Eve with everything that they needed. They had this abundant life. And scripture says that Adam and Eve lived among the trees of paradise. But what made Eden paradise? What informed the state of their peace and tranquility? Well, scripture says that when God made man and woman, he made them in his image. And what is the image of God? God is love. And from the beginning of time, for all of eternity, the three persons of the Trinity have been enveloped in perfect delight of one another. For all of time, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been delighting in one another. To be God is to delight in and be delighted in. To be God is to love and be loved. The nature and the image of God is to be enjoyed and enjoy. This is the model of Eden, was delight. Delight is what shaped Eden. Delight is what formed it, and it is what formed creation. It is what formed you, and it is what formed me. Delight is what we were built in. So let's dig into this a little bit deeper in the Genesis narrative. 
turn with me to Genesis 1. It will also be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 28. It says this, God blessed them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And so all the beasts of the earth and all of the birds in the sky and all of the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give you every green plant for food. And here's the foundation of delight and creation right here. God saw. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. If you look at that phrase, we're going to take this look at this deep dive of how did Adam and Eve know the delight of God? Well, the word bless there at the beginning of that scripture in Hebrew means to bend the knee. It is an action of honor. Bless is an expression of pure delight. Like when Jesus bends his knees and wraps the children into his arms and blessed them and delighted them, so God in the creation story bent his knees and he wrapped creation in his arms with delight. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed and he delighted in them. They were free and they were full and he delighted in them. And noticed... God delighted in them immediately. That was the first thing. He does not make them work. He doesn't make them perform. He doesn't make them prove themselves first. Adam and Eve were not informed by their performance. The truth for them wasn't informed by their titles or even the things that God could give them. Their whole being their whole DNA was informed by the pure and relentless delight of God. God's delight was the most real thing about who they were. And from then on, Adam and Eve would work from the delight of God, not for the delight of God. So how did they know God's delight we're going to go back to that phrase and we're going to look at two ways that they knew God's delight. The first way is that it was through God's gaze. God saw. God saw all that he had made. You see, to delight is by seeing. It reminds me of my kids throughout the day or maybe your kids who were like, Mom, 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 Mom. Dad, 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 mom, dad, mom, mom, mom. Because they want our eyes on them. The heart cry of a child is to be seen. That is your heart cry. And God delights by this true seeing of his children. God's facial expression held the truth of who they were. And scripture says that God's face, I love this, 
God's face is luminous, like sun rays that warm you deep into the recesses of your soul. When priests would delight and give a blessing in scripture, this is what they would say. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. This kind of countenance of God can be rendered or translated as a father smiling and taking pleasure in his child. God's delight is his eyes. God's delight is his gaze. It is the micro expression, the true expression of God is a fiery, authoritative, full, vibrant delight. And it was poured out on Adam and Eve. So they knew his delight by his gaze. They also knew his delight by his words. By his words. Another definition for bless literally means to speak well of. To speak well of. God saw his creation and he said it was very good. God delights by speaking. To illustrate this, I want to go to the Old Testament a minute. In Genesis 27, so you see, throughout Scripture, we see a lot of people blessed. We see priests blessed. We see prophets blessed. We see kings and grandparents blessed. But the most profound form of blessing was when a parent delighted in their child. So if we look at the Old Testament, we look at these fathers speaking over their children. Starting in Genesis 27, this is what Isaac says over Jacob. He says this, so he went to him and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his son's clothes, he blessed him and he said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. I think in Northwest Iowa, we can really appreciate this because we know the smell of a freshly harvested field. It's refreshing and delightful. And his father valued him so much that he spoke this over him. And then Jacob goes on to express delight in his own sons through words. In Genesis 49, he says this over his sons, you are a lion's cub, Judah. You see, a lion was a picture of strength and even a symbol of royalty. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Isaac and Jacob mirrored the heart of the creator by speaking words over their children because they deeply valued them and the truth and it helped inform them know who they are. You might be wondering, I think oftentimes we are afraid to speak things over people, maybe because we are afraid to create idols of people, or maybe a form of putting people on a pedestal. But what's happening here is that Isaac and Jacob are not putting their sons on a pedestal. They are not, they are not speaking words of idolatry, they're speaking words of delight. Because idolatry comes from what we create but delight comes from what God has created. 
and her father delights to speak over his kids. This is what I have created in you. This is what I see in you. And I think a question that we can start asking ourselves this summer, are we close enough to our father to know what he wants to say over us as his delight? Because it's not about creating an image of ourselves, but it's about living into the image of God of what he has created in us. What does God have to speak over you? What words of value does God want to speak in your life? See, Adam and Eve were close enough. They were naked and unafraid, and they were close enough to, Jesus, to God to know his facial expressions, to know his gaze. They are also close enough to hear his words. And next week and throughout this series, we're going to go into the problem, you know, what shifted. And so come back for that. It's going to be really good. But today, what I want to kind of ask and what I want to answer is this question. Was this kind of Eden living restricted when God closed the door to the garden? Did this kind of Eden living in the delight of God, is it over when God closed the door to the garden? And to answer that question, we have to go to a story in the New Testament that completely mirrors the story we just looked at in Adam and Eve, which is the baptism of Jesus. And you don't have to go there today. I'm going to tell a little bit more like a narrative But the baptism of Jesus is a story that deeply mirrors the creation of Adam and Eve. Let's take a look at it this morning. It says this, that Jesus comes to the Jordan River to be baptized. He's going to be baptized by John the Baptist. And there, John entrenches him with water. As Jesus' head breaks the water, it opens up the doors to heaven. The breaking of this water, when Jesus hit the water, it's a lot like this image of birth, of a new creation, and the doors to heaven were open. What is Jesus being born into in this moment? Well, God here in this moment speaks directly over Jesus, just like he spoke directly over Adam and Eve, and this is what he says a father to his son. He says this, this is my son whom my favor rests. This verse can be translated and I think better rendered, this is my beloved child in him I take delight. All of God's affection, all of his delight is in the son. A.W. Tozer says it this way, that God never changes moods or cools off his affections or loses enthusiasm for his son. It burns with unimaginable fervency and zeal. Do you hear the echo from Adam and Eve here? That before Jesus did one thing on the earth, before he did his ministry, before he performed a miracle, before he healed, before he taught, God declared over him that he is the beloved child in whom he delights. And this was going to inform everything that Jesus did. 
Uh, my husband, Sam, I've been talking a lot about him this morning. I hope that's okay. But he's been watching this show called A Small Light. And in this show, I've been in and out, kind of catching glimpses of it. I'm probably working super hard or doing something else. But uh, I'll catch glimpses of it. And what I've caught on in this story is that it's about this Jewish family in the time of World War II. And this family lives in Germany. And the husband of this family starts to catch wind that things are starting to change. Things are starting to shift and go downhill for the Jewish people in Germany. And so what the father and the husband decides to do is to move his entire family to Amsterdam. And the wife doesn't want to do it. Her community is there. Their lives are there. Their kids are settled there. She didn't want to move. But it turns out they moved to Amsterdam before everything started to really shift in Germany. And I walk in on this scene where the friend is talking to the wife. And the friend says to this woman, he says, oh, thank God you believed your husband. It's a good thing you believed him. And you know what she says back to her? I didn't believe him. I knew him. I know his heart, and he knows mine. You see, the thing about Jesus' life in this phrase that God said over him, he did not just believe the words of his father, but he knew his father. And he did not just believe the words of his father, and he, but he knew his father so much that he therefore knew his position as a son. You see, Jesus was a teacher, he was a rabbi, he was a shepherd, but it was the posture as the son that informed all of his actions. Yes, he would heal crowds, he would feed the hungry, he would debate Pharisees, but the pulse of the life of Jesus is his position as son in the bosom of the father. There's this story that when Jesus heals this man of leprosy in Luke 5, The news about Jesus spread all the more, so the reputation of Jesus is spreading everywhere. The reputation, his his name is starting to spread, but that's not what mattered to him. This is what mattered to him. It says that Jesus withdrew to the lonely places to pray. Eden, for Jesus, was with the Father. Jesus was not seeking or analyzing the words and the facial expressions of others. He wasn't seeking to gain reputation. He was not seeking the approval of others. It was not his performance that would inform his life, but it was the Father himself, this relationship, his position as son that would inform everything that he does. Henry Nouwen says it this way, That being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. Every time we listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover within yourself the desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It is like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched wet ground, you will want to go deeper. Eden for Jesus was anywhere the Father was. He was not motivated by his reputation building. He was not motivated by what he could do for others. 
He was motivated by the Father himself. I think what Jesus is modeling here is that what we absorb forms our interior life. What we take in, what we spend time with, who we spend time with, what we look at, what we absorb forms how we see the world. There's this concept in philosophy that says that how you judge the world, how you see the world, how you perceive yourself is a reflection of what's going on in your inner life. It reminds me of this time in my life when I watched way too much Lord of the Rings. I won't tell you when it was. But I just absorbed this narrative about hobbits and elves and all these things so much that it was like I began to hear the story in my mind. It was like I lived in the Shire, you know? It was, it just changed the way I saw everything because I had absorbed the story so much. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what are we absorbing? Whose facial expressions are we relying on to tell us the truth about who we are? What device are we going to to inform the truth about who we are? What group of people are we going to to inform the truth about who you are? Because the truth lies in the Father alone. And this is what Jesus modeled. That Jesus absorbed the, the gaze of his Father. Jesus absorbed the words of the Father so that it colored his interior life. And Ronald Rollheiser says it this way, that Jesus lived with a beloved consciousness. It changed the way he saw himself and others because he knew himself as the beloved son. After God declared his delight in Adam and Eve, they were to go practice their belovedness in a lush garden. And after God declared his delight in Jesus, he was to go practice his belovedness in a dry wilderness. And Adam and Eve were tempted, and Jesus was tempted. And what did the accuser come to attack in Jesus? When the accuser came to Jesus in the wilderness, what did he go after? Satan did not go after his performance or his ability or the fruit of his life or his titles. He didn't go after material goods. He did not go over the things that Jesus had. Satan went after the sonship of Jesus. He said, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, and Jesus could stand there and look the accuser in the face and say, it is not by bread alone. It is not about what I can get. It is not about what the things I can gain. It is not about my titles. It is the father himself that nourishes the heart cry of my soul. Apart from resources or people or water, Jesus breathed in the air of Eden and he was fully nourished by God himself. And this is why God could confidently say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek because the true resources of our soul is the Father himself. 
Church, the enemy is not after what you can do for God. He's after whether or not you believe he's enough. The enemy is not after what you will do for God. He's after whether or not you believe his love and his delight is sufficient enough for your life and your story and you. And when the accuser comes in your life, you're going to hear the echo from the garden. Did God really say... Did God really say in this summer, I invite you and stand before the accuser and say, I don't just believe my father, I know him. I know him. And therefore, I know myself as his beloved child. Because in the death of his beloved son, and the death of his resurrected Jesus, God opened the door to Eden again in Jesus for us. That it is in Jesus that we have access to the Father who delights in us. That when he died on the cross, he tore the veil and he gave us access to his delight. This week, I was writing this sermon and I began to really wrestle and I began to really struggle and I began to feel this immense weight and this immense pressure. And if I'm being honest, I was staring at a blank page for a long time. And then as I was staring at this blank page, I started to feel the overwhelming pressure of being a mom. Are my kids loved enough? Being a wife? Feeling pressure in my job? Feeling pressure in my work? Feeling pressure in my role as sister? And then I heard the invitation of Jesus. And this is the invitation for you. And this is what he says, come away with me. Come away with me, my love. Come know the love that I know. Come know the love that I died so that you would know. Come and know the love that when I separated myself from the Father so that you could be called a child of God. Come away with me. Let the Father speak over the life who you are and let that inform everything that you do. I left my Father. I left my Eden so that you could share in my position as beloved child, the one whom the Father delights. This summer and this season of Back to Eden, our invitation to you is to be in close proximity enough to your father that you have his gaze memorized. That you know his posture towards you, that it is pure, relentless delight. And that we invite you to be close enough to the Father that you would hear his words of value over you and that those words would be the words that would inform everything that you do. Because it is your position as a beloved child of God that is the most real thing about who you are. And all other identities are false. So this summer, join us. Join us as we relish in the delight of our God. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you.
that you did not just leave us, Father, as orphans, Lord, but God, that you sent your son to die so that we could be called, so that we could become children of God. Lord, this summer we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we know you don't want our titles, you don't want our performance, you don't want what we can do, you just want us. So God, that is our offering this summer. Lord, that we lay down anything, Lord, that we believe is standing in between us and your delight, God. We know that you broke that space, Lord, so that we could be close to you, that you have opened up the door to yourself again. God, I ask that anybody in here right now that's overwhelmed or feeling the pressure of the roles and the titles and the things in their life, Lord, may they, may they hear your invitation, come away with me. Come and know the love that I know. Come, let his delight wash over you. Lord, we ask that your delight and your love would be the most real thing about us. Lord, we commit and we offer ourselves to you. We are listening. We want to know your gaze and your voice. Thanks for listening to the Centerpoint Church Podcast. Be sure to keep up with us on social media at facebook.com slash wearecenterpoint or on Instagram at wearecenterpoint. We hope to see you soon in person for worship this Sunday at 930.